Chapter Eleven of Mary Louise in the Country by L. Frank Baum, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Eleven: The Fate of Ned Jocelyn. The child stared dreamily at the rushing water for several minutes. Then she looked earnestly into Josie's face. Finally, with a sigh, she said, "I may as well go on and finish it, I suppose." To be sure," said Josie. "You haven't told me anything very important yet." The important part's coming," asserted Ingua, her tone gradually assuming its former animation. "'Twas last winter on the Thursday between Christmas and New Year's. It was cold and snowing hard, and it gets dark early them days. Grandad and me was eating supper by lamplight when there came a knock on the door. I jumped up and opened it, and there stood Ned Jocelyn in a big heavy coat that was loaded with snow and kid gloves on, and his one-eyed spectacle on his face." He come in and stood while I shut the door, and Grandad glared at him like he does when the devil gets him, and said, "What more? Sure thing," says Ned. "Nothing lasts forever." That's true," says Grandad, holding himself in. Then he looks at me and back to Ned and says, "I can't see you here. Where are you stopping? At the Kenton House?" "Just for tonight," says Ned. "It's more private than a hotel." "Go home then," says Grandad. "I'll come over by and by." Ned opened the door and went out, saying nothing more. Grandad finished his supper and then sat by the stove and smoked his pipe while I washed the dishes. I wondered why he didn't go over and see Ned, but he sat there and smoked till I went upstairs to bed. That was queer, for I never knew him to smoke more than one pipe of tobacco at a time before, and then mostly on Sundays. And I'd never seen his face so hard and cruel looking as it were that night, and his eyes seemed like they were made of glass. I didn't undress, for I knowed there'd be trouble if he went over to Ned's house. And I made up my mind to keep watch of things, so I sat still in my room in the attic, and Grandad sat still in the room downstairs, and it must have been pretty late when I heard him get up and go out. I slipped down right after him, meaning to follow him, and let myself out the back door so as he wouldn't see me. It had stopped snowing by then, but it was so cold that the air cut like a knife, and the only jacket I had wasn't any too warm for such weather. When I got round the house, Old Swallertail was standing on the bank, looking at the river. I never knew nobody to try the stepping stones in winter, and I supposed, of course, Grandad would take the path to the bridge, but he went down the bank, wading through the snow, and started to cross over. The moon made it light enough to see easy after you'd been out a few minutes. I watched him cross over and climb the bank and make for the house, and then I run down to the river myself. The water covered all the stones, but I knew where they were as well as Grandad did. I didn't like my job a bit, but I knew if I waited to go round by the bridge that I'd be too late to see anything that happened. So I screwed up courage and started over. My legs ain't as long as a grown-up's, and at the third step I missed the stone and soused one leg in the water up to my knee. Gee, that was a cold one! But I wouldn't give up and kept on until just in the middle, where the water were roaring the worst. I slipped with both legs and went into my waist. That settled it for me. I thought I'd drown for a minute, but I went crazy with fear, and the next thing I knew, I was standing on the bank where I'd come from, and the cold wind was freezing a sheet of ice on my legs and body. There wasn't no time to lose. Whatever was happening over to the big house didn't mean as much to me as death did, and death was on my track if I didn't get back home before I froze stiff. I started to run. It ain't far. Look there, Josie. You could almost make it in three jumps, but I remember falling down half a dozen times in the snow, and at the last I crawled to the door on my hands and knees and had just strength enough to raise up and lift the latch. 
Grandad's awful stingy about burnin' wood, but I threw chunks into the stove till the old thing roared like a furnace, and when I'd thawed out some I got off my shoes and stockings and my wet dress and put another skirt on. Then I lay in Grandad's chair afore the fire and shivered and cried like a baby whenever I thought of that icy river. I guess I must have went to sleep afterwards, for when I woke up the fire was getting low and old Swallertail opened the door on a sudden and walked in. Josie, you ought to see him. His legs was wet and icy too, so he must have slipped on the stones himself, and he was shaking all over as if he'd got the og. His face was dirty white and his eyes burnt like two coals. He threw on more wood, reckless-like, and jerked off his shoes and socks and sat down t'other side of the stove. Neither of us said nothing for a while, and then he looks at me sort of curious and asks, "'Did you get across, Ingwa?' "'No,' says I. "'I got near drowned trying it.' And then he sat silent again, looking at the fire. By and by, he says, "'Ingwa, you're old enough to have sense, and I want you to think careful on what I'm going to say. Folks round here don't like you and me very much, and if they got a chance—' or even if they had a chance, they'd crush us under heel like they would scorpions. That's cause we're crags, for crags ain't never been popular in this neighborhood for some reason. Now listen, I've done with Ned Jocelyn. It ain't my fault as I've cast him off, it's his'n. He's got a bad heart, and he's robbed me right and left. I could forgive him for that, because, well, you don't need to know why I clung to the feller when I knew he was a scoundrel. "'but he robbed a cause dearer to my heart than myself, "'and for that I couldn't forgive him. "'Nobody knows Ned were here tonight, Ingwa, "'so if anybody asks you questions, "'you didn't see him at all. "'Fix that firm in your mind. "'You don't know nothing about Ned "'since he went away last October. "'You hain't seen him. "'Stick to that girl and you're all right. "'But if you blab, "'if you ever tell a soul as Ned were here, "'I'll have to kill you myself to stop your mouth. "'Fix that in your mind, too.' I was so scared that I just looked at him. Then I says in a whisper, "'What did you do to Ned, Grandad?' He turned his eyes on me so fierce that I dropped my head. "'I didn't kill him, if that's what you mean,' says he. "'I ought have strangled him, but I didn't want to swing for no common thief like Ned and Jocelyn. Besides, he's—but that's none of your business. So I threatened him, and that was just as good as killing. He won't show up here again, never, and he ain't likely to show up anywhere else that he's known.' Perhaps he'll be hunted for, but he'll keep out of the way. You and I ain't got nothing to worry about, Ingwa, unless you blab. I didn't believe a word he said, Josie. They was just words, and it was natural he'd lie about that night's work. When I went to bed it was near morning, but old Swallertail was still settin' by the fire. Next day he went on just as usual, and from then till now he's never smoked to me of that night. In a couple of weeks we heard as Ned Jocelyn had run away. His wife came down here, asking for him. "'but nobody'd seen hide nor hair of him. "'That's all, Josie. "'That's the whole story, "'and I'm glad you know it now as well as I do. "'What do you think? "'Did old Swallertail kill Ned Jocelyn?' "'Josie woke from her meditation with a start. "'I... "'I'm going to think it over,' she said evasively. "'It's a queer story, Ingwa, mighty queer, "'and it's going to take a lot of thought "'before I make up my mind about it.'" End of chapter 11 Read by Sibella Denton for more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.